Welcome to episode 13 of the Pope and Gold podcast. James Carew, co-editor of Pope Gold, and you're listening to the 13th edition of the podcast, coinciding with issue 6 of our print magazine. Each episode features contributors to both the magazine and website, and to date we've featured everything from the three knees of Pavel Medved, to Bohemians in the time of Spanish flu, to football photography in Italy. Toggle back wherever you get your podcasts for previous episodes, and you can pick up your copy of Ireland's only football magazine, in Easton's and Tuttle's outlets around the country or online via pogmagold.com. On today's episode, we're talking to Ron Ulrich, a writer for the cult German football magazine Elfreund, on an article that appeared in the very first Pogmagold magazine. But first, I'm joined once again by my co-host Taylor Geel, a communications manager based in London, a regular on the pod, and who has also contributed to the magazine. Welcome back, Taylor. Thanks, James. Good to see you. There's only one place we can start, and while the dust has settled somewhat by the time this pod goes out, Taylor, what are your first reactions, or what did you make of the European Super League debacle? Well, I was very entertained by it from Sunday afternoon when it broke until, when was it, Wednesday, when it collapsed, Tuesday even. Um, it's difficult to know what to say that hasn't already been said, but I'm, I'm glad it's over um, and I'm glad it's not happening. And um, I'm hopeful that this is a kind of wake up call uh, against the uh, commercialization of football. Uh, we, we had a glimpse of where we might be heading if we don't kind of reclaim some of this, you know, our traditional game. Um, but yeah, very, very entertained by it. And uh, we're kind of back to square one. It was like a movie, really. It's kind of, yeah. it's like walking out the theatre and then everything's the same. As a PR exercise for both the league and the clubs, I don't think I've seen anything worse. And my co-editor and brother Key put something out on Twitter. He said, did these clubs not even consult their customers? And he used the word customers specifically. They didn't, <laughs> if you don't even consult your fans you're really on a hiding to nothing. And so today we're back to a feature from issue one of our magazine with our guest Ron Ulrich. The article is entitled The Fragility of Happiness. How for four minutes and 38 seconds Schalke 04 were the 2001 German champions. Then Anderson struck and hell opened. Welcome to the Pogmagol podcast, Ron. Thanks for having me. Hello from Germany. <laughs> Great to have you on. And you've been with us from the start of the magazine. But first, just to get your initial reactions, especially because in the German context of the German clubs staying away from the European Super League, certainly from the start, what was your first reaction? 
the first reaction was I uh, saw a video of Gary Neville speaking about it on Twitter and had no clue what he was uh, telling about. And I, I assumed that it would have something to do with uh, the greed and the new plans of UEFAR or um, other uh, rich clubs. And um, the irony of it is that uh, also on Twitter somebody posted that uh, the idea of the Super League lasted maybe as long as uh, Gary Neville's era or spell <laughs> at Valencia. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was um, my connection to it uh, via Gary Neville. And the thing is that in Germany there were reports when the football leagues were published in the German paper called Der Spiegel. Uh, there was a front page of the magazine, uh, which is one of the yeah, highest uh, regarded and um, one of the most popular, popular news magazine in Germany. I think it was two years ago when they stated Bayern Munich was on top of the um, of the guys who who are planning a Super League and planning uh, to leave the German Bundesliga. And now it turns out that Bayern Munich was with Borussia Dortmund, uh, one of the two teams that uh, really um, stepped back and said they uh, don't have anything to do with the with the league. So in Germany, there a lot of people are very proud of their teams, but. In my mind, I think both of the club really considered um, going there, but they knew that the outrage would be would have been massive, and uh, the fan the fan protest uh, would be too too massive to um, yeah consider being there. And maybe they're smart enough to know that the evil thing is going on anyway with the new Champions League, which and the reform of the Champions League, which is. Uh, just another Super League in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We might touch on it later in the podcast on that kind of culture of fan protest or German clubs act- actually listening to the supporters. But first, on all of our podcasts, we like to ask our guests, what was it that first got them interested in football or sparked their interest in the sport? I think it was in 1992 when I my dad took me to my uh, first game and it was uh, in the stadium maybe that we speak later on about uh, when it comes to the Schalke 04 article mm-hmm. and uh, it was a um, very rainy and dark night I think it was in autumn of 92 and it was a one-all draw against the famous Bayer all five Erdingen. <laughs> they, they, they are now, I think, in fourth uh, division, in the third division, and they have a Russian owner who uh, really does what he wants, and he hires and fires, and uh, this is a story for itself by Erding. Uh, I remember I was uh, six year, years old that day, and I still remember how I was impressed of the four shadows of the players running around with... Um, because of the floodlights, yeah. And uh, at at first, in the first moment, I can't really uh, uh, understand why they have four shadows and what was going on there. And I was more interested in all the stuff uh, that that goes around. And I kept on asking my father uh, for an explanation of the chance of the of the supporters. <laughs> and yeah, it, it it. I remember one game. I think it was in 96 when there was a Bochum forward called Sergei Juran. And the week before they played my team, um, he lost his driving license because of he was drunken. Uh, he, he drove drunkenly. 
and um, uh, the fans were chanting, uh, "Du hast kein Führerschein," what means uh, you don't have a driver driver's license anymore. And <laughs> some of them were chanting, uh, uh, "You're an alcoholic," which is quite also <laughs> ironic because the um, uh, the terraces were packed with people who were drunken in that day. <laughs> there were so many people who uh, consumed liters yeah. of alcohol, and it was just another another time. There were when you when you went to the terraces, there were people lying on the floor because they were so drunken, uh, and because no one really cared that uh, in these days. Uh, also, um, the uh, security uh, didn't um, didn't even. Inter intervened when somebody uh, put massive glasses of uh, Jägermeister and shots um, brought them with them into the into the ground. So and that was ironic because uh, thousands of people who were heavenly drunk called this guy an alcoholic. <laughs> so that was just an explanation. Um, uh, my dad couldn't really explain it to me. I, I realized what they were saying just weeks after or so. Uh, coming back to your question, I was really impressed in these days about everything that went around the, um, the, the, the game itself. And I didn't understand so much about what was going on on the pitch. Yeah, we featured yourself in the magazine and the, the article originally appeared in El Freund. And we've had some pieces with you guys bef uh, in the intervening years. For people who don't know, could you explain a little bit about Elfreund and why it has such uh, fame in Germany? Uh, originally, it was a fanzine, and the um, yeah the role model was uh, the likes of When Saturday Comes and uh, other uh, fanzines from England. And during the nineties uh, in Germany, a lot of uh, fanzines evolved, and one was uh, a fanzine called Um Halb Vier war die Welt noch in Ordnung from Arminia Bielefeld, which meant at um, uh, 3.30, everything was uh, okay. And um, 3.30 is the the time for the kickoff in German uh, Bundesliga. So they were saying, until the kickoff, everything was fine, and then they turned against us. So that was the name of the fanzine. And the founder and the chief editor, so to say, they were, weren't chief editors. They were just some fans uh, printing something together and uh, the, him, his name was Philip Köster and he um, later on founded El Freunde as a, so to say, fanzine for, not for a special team, but for uh, Germany and all all other teams uh, all together. And they started, I think, with two or three people in the year 2000. And mm -hmm. uh, then it turned, well, it became uh, bigger and bigger, and now it's running for, has been running for 20 years. You did an article a number of years later when Ireland qualified for the Euros in 2016, and this we translated it. It had come not long after the terrorist attack in France on the, on the Stade de France, and it was essentially a love letter to the Irish fans about how the world needed the Irish fans to bring song and laughter 
And this became one of our most popular articles because it was published in the national newspapers. It was read out on breakfast time radio by big celebrities in Ireland. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, he forgot to credit us, but we let that slide. So yeah, the relationship with Elf Rind has grown over the years. And yeah, that was one of our most popular articles. And what kind of celebrities? The national radio station is Ian Dempsey on, on a station called Today FM. And he read out the article or lines from the article on air. This went down really well with the Irish fans. So thank you for that. I think there was a transparent or a banner um, about Ian Dempsey uh, when I was in France uh, from the Irish. I have to look it up, but somebody... Uh, uh, reflected on some of uh, Ian Dempsey's comments. Yeah, you're not supposed to deface the flag as kind of official protocol. And <laughs> Irish fans put everything from Father Ted quotes <laughs> to uh, quotes quotes from DJs on the on the banner. For, yeah, yeah. Here is Gelsenkirchen. It was the last Bundesliga game at the Old Park Stadium. Here spielt Schalke 04. Legendary race for the Meisterschale between Schalke and Bayern. Meanwhile, in Hamburg. Schalke were dreaming of that maiden Bundesliga title. Wait, the big screen at the stadium showed that they were in fact still playing in Hamburg. This free kick is possibly the most iconic in the history of the Bundesliga. Anderson, Tor! The FC Bayern is Meister! The Royal Blues went down in the Bundesliga history books, but only as the four-minute champions. The article, to jump into it, to go back reading it today ahead of the podcast it's such a good article Ron it's like I think it's universal in that, that you take us on to the terraces and explain the different characters and the personalities involved yeah it was um, I think one of the most spectacular uh, endings of a season in the Bundesliga history because um uh, Schalke 04 uh, was uh, on the players, the fans and all the, the the staff members were celebrating because somebody from the TV station told them uh, that they were champions and um, the game of their competitors Bayern Munich in Hamburg was over. But the game was still going on and so there was the parallel, parallel situation that Bayern Munich was scoring in Hamburg and um, just crowning the, themselves as the new champions in 2001, whereas the Schalke supporters were still celebrating in the when they uh, were believing they were uh, the champions. And so, uh, when this goal of Patrick Andersen happened, uh, I used the word of uh, hell opened, but. Uh, yeah, it's a bit um, drastic uh, vocabulary, but I think whoever was at the stadium on this day would understand why this word of hell open uh, might might fit in this situation. Before we get into the substance of the piece, Ron, you, I, I just wanted to um, just set the scene a little bit because you begin your piece with the sentence, it had to be this place. So could you... 
give us a sense of what the Park Stadion in uh, Gelsenkirchen represents to Schalke and German football more broadly? I think it was uh, just the symbol of a different era of football. So it was, it was back in these days, it was wild and it was anarchy there. There was um, the guy on the terraces and it, um, where all the diehard fans were standing was um, block number five. And there was a guy who brought a trumpet in and so they uh, were chanting attacker. So for the players to force them into attack. There were a guy with long hair, they called him Catweasel, uh, long gray hair. He was standing uh, on a fence with a with a drum in his hand. And there were, as I, as I mentioned before, people lying on the floor because they were so, so drunk and this place was packed. There were um, flares in the stands um, and it was no, no chaos or no um, bad atmosphere or fear in this uh, in this uh, stadium. It was just normal anarchy. And so, me as a kid, I was um, not allowed to go there because it was just like it was the the place for the or the playground for the adults and for yeah different types of adults, so to say, and. Um, to say that this it had to be this place, it was the very last game in this stadium and it had the capacity of uh, 72,000 people. And when there were boring games, as I mentioned in autumn, uh, autumn evenings against Bayer Oerding, there were, there were just um, 27,000 people there and it looked like there were so many um, empty, empty seats there and it was yeah, a bit depressing to be there on a on a cold evening. But on the other hand, when there were big games going on, um, the capacity of seventy two thousand people wasn't enough because people were people were taking uh, the fence ticket, which meant the Zaunkarte in German, which meant that they were just climbing over the fence to get into the ground, so they couldn't be. Uh, held back from it and there were people sitting in the trees around the around the terraces so i estimate i think a lot of other people do the same that on this day against in the very last game there have to be 85000 or nearly 90000 people around this this ground was was packed it was really packed and this was such a big game because it's not only the last game in this stadium but it's the last game of the season Schalke a second in the league three points behind Bayern Munich but up on goal difference is that right yeah and so there's the potential that Schalke can you know win the league um and your your piece is so evocative you talk about trumpets you talk about the seven second death which is a reference to the week before um and you use the phrase a factory of emotions which I think is a very stereotypically German evocation of the mood that day there, there are taxis screeching to a halt. It's so evocative, your intro. Could you give us a sense of, um, oh, another phrase that I think is worth bringing up is people were writhing like fish on land, which is just wonderful. Can you give us a sense of, of the atmosphere that day? At the beginning, it was quite festive because you mentioned it before, the seven second shock uh, the week before when Schalke conceded a goal in Stuttgart, seven seconds later, Bayern Munich scored a goal. So and that made them... Uh, being in the first position for the last game of the season. So 
that proved everyone that Bayern Munich will uh, be crowned as champion anyway. So you can do whatever you want. Bayern Munich was uh, well known for scoring in the last minute of a game and be very cruel, uh, just like Manchester United was in the 90s. So I think a lot of people um, before the game just wanted to celebrate the season. It was a, a unbelievable season of the of the team because before the season, uh, Schalke was um, was uh, in the in the eyes of uh, a lot of of many pundits um, was a contender for being uh, relegated and uh, yeah yeah because there was so much chaos going on so many injuries and they. They didn't um, get so many good transfers. Just three uh, trans- transfers of no names and one transfer of Andreas Müller, who was a yeah, he was hated by the Schalke supporters because he uh, played played before for their arch rivals Borussia Dortmund. So and um, they just wanted to celebrate an uh, uh, outstanding season and the last game of the stadium. And there were parades going on. There was a, um, a jet flying over the. Uh, over the ground with a with a transfer and thanks for all the years and so and it was just uh it was a warm day uh, the stadium was packed and everyone was just thinking okay just just let let's have a good time and uh they had a good time for four minutes and 38 seconds <laughs> yeah. maybe the best time in their lives and then yeah. then it all uh yeah it ended so 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 badly and in a cool way yeah i love how football is so circular there seems to be connections every time we have a guest on because that stadium is where ireland played netherlands in euro 88 where myself and taylor spoke on a previous podcast so irish fans will be familiar with that old stadium the open air and so to delve into the history of it has been brilliant through this piece one thing that really jumps out at you is when the 90 minutes are up and they think they have won or the 94 minutes and you paint the picture of people stuck to radios or just the rumors going around what a contrast it would be to today where social media would be instant that you would be perhaps watching a stream or getting information onto your phone and and the contrast of that time where you're depending on someone with a transistor radio or rumor or suggestion and even people as you say looking in at the commentary box for confirmation from hamburg yeah definitely this is a it seems to be uh the the dinosaur uh period or so like like it's exactly how you how you put it uh nowadays i think young people won't can't imagine that there were 80,000 people uh, relying on maybe 100 or 120 uh, people in the ground who were able to bring a radio. So this was also a kind of, not luxury, but it was unusual to get a radio that you can carry around or or some people won't have... uh, yeah, won't have uh, thought about uh, uh, that it could be necessary to stick to the radio. I, I remember that for in every block of the stadium, uh, there was one guy um, holding a radio to his ear and he was the nuncius in uh, in Roman Empire, like the one who, who brings the news. The town crier or something. The town announcer, yeah. The town announcer, yeah. Uh, so... Everyone was relying on uh, their expressions and also 
at one point their expression, even if they were whispering, like the one guy that I recall was whispering, Hamburg is in front, yeah. Hamburg is leading. And it was enough for the people around him to freak out. So there were different places around the stadium where this freaking out took place. And then it uh, all was, um, it all came together to a massive, yeah, it was a roar. And it came from different parts of the stadium. Yeah, unimaginable uh, for for nowadays. The, the, the closest thing I can think of in modern times um, from the from the Premier League, the English Premier League, is um, that Aguero goal to seal the 2012 uh, Premier League title for Man City and the scenes from Manchester where Ferguson, Alex Ferguson, is on the pitch kind of half celebrating, not sure what the score is at City. But even then, it was still more instant. And I was trying to think... It's much more romantic to think of people with radios. Like the 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 last minute confusion we have these days is about VAR. Like that causes the delay. That there's just no delay in getting results from elsewhere. It was similar to the um, to the first title for Manchester City was in when was it in 2012 I think. Yeah. Uh, because they were taunted. The supporters of them were taunted by. Uh, Manchester United supporters and by Alex Ferguson, not in my lifetime and all these things. And this is similar to Schalke because their last title was in 1958. Wow. Uh, they were also taunted, yeah, you'll never achieve this in your in your lifetime. And um, yeah, emotionally, I think it was comparable. But as I put it, Schalke had the, the means or the measures or the financial capacity uh, uh, which uh, Manchester City had. Uh, Schalke's team was still a team of, of nobodies. Andy Müller was uh, well-known and popular, but he was 34, I think, at the time. So he, he was at the end of his career. And uh, I think the, the highest amount Schalke paid for a player who was in the squad back, back in this day was Emil Pensa and it was I think 16 million mark 8 8 million euros the record deal of Schalke in 2000 I think I want to jump into the article a little bit Ron because there's so many different personalities so there's one you mentioned a, a man named Michael Nicker I guess is his name who his friend is Thomas Spiegel, who who's an employee at the club, and he jumps, thinking that the game is over, he jumps on his friend's back and he said, if we are the champions, God can take me now. But <laughs> he had suffered a heart attack the previous year, and he said, I hope he doesn't keep to that arrangement. Yeah. The, the way you jump around a stadium and you have commentators and the coach... Uh, Rudy Azawar. You bring so many personalities to life. It's an incredible piece. And the fragility of happiness is the perfect title. It's so... Football can be so cruel. Yeah, we were uh, talking about it when the piece was published, if the fragility of happiness was a bit too... How do you call it? Uh, cheesy? Or uh, just, yeah, with all the um, books where... Uh, like the soft entertainment of... Uh, 
yeah, royal families and all that, all that stuff that uh, um, the the books and the magazines who are lying in the barber's shop here in Germany, so entertaining for old people, romantic yeah. stuff with castles and uh, <laughs> uh, romantic pairs and all that, and and horses and but so I'm not I'm not sure about the word, but the fragility of happiness it was a bit too. We were we were discussing it, but in the end. Uh, I, th I think it uh, it fitted the yeah the report. I think it works. If ever you're going to use a phrase like that, it can be applied to here. Um, Ron, can there's as James mentioned, there's so many different characters in here, um, and you know, to someone like me and, and maybe James, there's we we don't have the the context of a lot of these names, so they kind of just appear uh, in a in a strange tableau of action and then disappear, and then we move on to somebody else. How how did you go about compiling this kind of collage of characters like this? Normally, in every uh, journalist academy, people will tell you don't use too many uh, characters, and uh, they they keep telling you kill your darlings and concentrate on two or three characters. But um, I thought on this day there were so many people involved, and so many people were living through uh, the the dream minutes of their lives and afterwards the tragedy of their life and i couldn't um, bring myself to erase some of the protocols i had and you mentioned him rudy Assau. he is like the how to say an idol father figure of the entire club he died uh, last year and it was uh yeah, he was the one who built uh the team he who built the new stadium and he was a uh, yeah, he was uh, popular um, uh, all around Germany because he was also from a different era. He was uh, born in the uh, last days of the war and he was uh, uh, a macho, like a guy, a very tough guy, smoking cigars and uh, being very direct in the communication, not making contracts by paper, but uh, what count is the word and the... Uh, um, and shaking hands, he was—he was a different character, and he was standing. Uh, he was the one who, um, throughout the entire season, uh, said, oh, "We we won't get champion," and uh, who celebrates too soon will celebrate in a wrong way. Yeah, he kept the the, the fan base and the um, the the public uh, down to earth, so to say. And he was the decisive figure because. The one who uh, who raised his doubts about uh, being successful in the end, he was told that the game in Hamburg was over, and he punched in the air. He was screaming out loudly, and that was the that was the time when hundreds of people around him were sure. Okay, even if he thinks it's over, it must be over, and now it's time to celebrate. So he was the he was an just interesting figure. Uh, hours later, when the when the game was and the championship was already lost, the, so hundreds of people couldn't couldn't go home, and they were um, queuing around or walking around the uh, the offices of the t of the club. And Rudi Assau was sitting inside, and uh, just hours later, he climbed onto the roof of the building and hold a speech. Without a microphone, he was you know, he had he had a voice <laughs> that. That was hurt. He just uh, um, 
calm them down and said we could be proud and all that and now let's concentrate on winning the cup and all that so this was also not a lot of managers or sporting directors these days would uh, climb onto the roof and speak to the speak to the people who are so desperate he was just a different character and your article references the speech and after that speech 15,000 fans showed up at training on the Monday ahead of the cup final which Thankfully, they went on and won the following week. Yeah, the cup final was against uh, Union Berlin, who played in the third division. Uh, and in the first half, Schalke was so shaky. They were they were still impressed by what had happened the week before. And they nearly uh, conceded a goal against uh, Union Berlin from the third division. So thanks to Jörg Böhmer, who had a brilliant left foot and scored twice, uh, he he secured the cup final win for Schalke. If they would have lost this game uh, as well, it would have uh, had consequences for the following years because I I can't see how the how the players would have managed to to cope with this situation of losing these two titles within seven days. And that was the last day of the Park Stadion, and so. This new arena was built, which I visited, actually. I've been to the stadium. It's the Veltins Arena, or it was when I went. Yes. And it was Ireland played Germany in a Euro qualifier. And I had no tickets. I went with my friend, but we bought tickets outside for the German end. (laughs) And so we had these stupid green hats on and we were walking into the home section. And the steward just kind of looked at us. (laughs) And he, he he waved us in, but okay. I'm I'm sure if you remember the game, Ireland scored in injury time through John O'Shea to to draw one one. Yeah, and me and my friend sat in the German section and we couldn't contain ourselves. We had to jump up and cheer, but the Germans, being Germans, turned around and shook our hands, probably secretly knowing that we're going to qualify anyway. <laughs> it was the same campaign that Ireland actually beat Germany. But even then, the Germans know Ireland can have their fun, but we're going to qualify anyway. I thought you you was about to say the Germans being German, they called the police. Huh? <laughs> no, no. I think Taylor might have a different experience as an Englishman, but they seem to like the Irish. Okay. <laughs> But um, the new stadium, it's fabulous because they're known as the miners, the mining culture in the area. The player tunnel is made to look like a mine, a cave. But you, yeah, it's not got the same ca- character as those old stadiums. I'm sure you'd agree, Ron. No, no. Uh, in, a, in a good way, in some cases, when there's a rainy, uh, rainy night, it's sometimes good to don't be uh, wet uh, from the uh, third minute on. <laughs> but also, um, it's not that you could um, conserve the anarchy and the the spirit of the old stadium. But uh, yeah, with different times, uh, it's also good uh, to have toilets who, uh, which work. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't the case in the in the old stadium. Uh, so it's 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 a bit more um, uh, convenient or comfortable for the for families and. Um, yeah, it's it also has a good uh, good thing about it that uh, women and and children could go there safely. And uh, as I put it before, you wouldn't advise your children to go to the uh, 
where the diehard fans were in the in the old stadium. Ron, we're almost exactly twenty years on from this game that um, is the is the feature of your article. What what what's the legacy of this game like in the in German football and the minds of Schalke fans? Obviously, we mentioned that Man City Man United twenty twelve final day and there's been you know documentaries made about that is is there a similar similar legacy attached to this game yeah there were documentaries and yeah it's it has a special uh special note because 20 years after Schalke uh, has been relegated to the second division but yeah. I don't think that this stems from the from this tragedy of 2001 what one can say is that after this tragedy Schalke desperately tried everything to to win the championship and they or the German Bundesliga and they invested money that they didn't have that brought them in a in a situation of being uh, in debt for many years and it contributed to the financial disaster uh, of nowadays but I can't I don't see that uh, the the players of the recent team don't that they have a connection or know what was going on in 2001 but if you talk to the players who were involved in 2001 they still they 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 are still moved by the memories mm. Ron I didn't want to mention it but Schalke have been relegated yeah what is the feeling will can they bounce back quickly or what is the current kind of structure of the club around this relegation what impact will it have well, it it is disastrous uh, in every in every field um, regarding the players who were overpaid and had no clue what was going on with the club and had no ambition with the club. Uh, in uh, uh, regarding the staff, it was uh, they had four managers or five managers uh, in one season and two sporting directors. Uh, they are in financial debt, so there are some people who say it's good to be in the second division to cure yourself or to cure the club but there are bad examples of the likes of Kaiserslautern 1860 München SFC Nürnberg who also uh, were relegated and thought they could go back to the first division easily but the second division of uh, of um, German football is really demanding really a tough challenge so uh, it's not that easy to to bounce back directly or immediately. The feeling is that they uh, that they won't achieve it because at the moment they have no um, no squad for it. They have no people in charge for it, and um, the second division starts right after the uh, right after the Euros. So it's a bit too tight to assemble a squad which could yeah could be successful. We touched on it at the start of the podcast about the power of German club supporters. And there, we see that in a variety of ways. There have been protests around, is it Friday night and Monday night games? The Monday night. Monday night games. There have been protests against RB Leipzig and that idea of a corporation owning a club. For the people who don't know, can you just briefly explain also the 50 plus one rule with the supporters? Is it they they hold a majority ownership? They hold uh, 50 plus uh, 50 percent and uh, one vote for the what is it? Mother mother club. Yeah. So the rule prevents 
people from uh, uh, having the majority of the votes and that single persons could decide the way the club is run. The thing is that there are so many exclusions of the rule. For example, for Bayer Leverkusen, VfL Wolfsburg, uh, you mentioned RB Leipzig as well, TSG Hoffenheim. Uh, so there are some, at Hoffenheim, there's one person who uh, pumps money into the club and on paper he he has no influence, but if you if you speak to players and officials uh, in the Bundesliga, he's the one who decides if players uh, uh, join the club or not. So yeah, it's a bit uh, 50 plus one rule is a is a good thing, but um, Germany shouldn't be too proud of the current state of it. In the context of the European Super League, you do think perhaps fan power, however played its part in the German clubs at least initially not participating? Or do you think Bayern Munich maybe said, let's just see how this plays out first? I think both of it. The Bayern officials are smart. Karl-Heinz Rummenigge has a good network. And I think that they maybe sense that this could um, uh, could go nowhere, a dead-end street. Uh, but also they... Criticism if the stadiums were full at the moment, uh, the criticism would be massive and fans, uh, especially the ultra groups, uh, raised their voices and they also put banners and transparents at the at the ground of the of Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. But they also uh, um, criticized in open letters and banners the new ideas of the Champions League. And in my eyes, it's just a uh, Another way of uh, founding a, a super league because it's it is in favor of the status quo that the the rich clubs yeah. get more and more money and I think that's the reason why uh, Bayern Munich is will be champion the ninth time in a row in Germany because they spend eighty million on a defender and eighty million I think it's the the amount of of money uh, um, a club like SC Freiburg have spent for four or five years for their, for their squad. So it's it's no wonder that Bayern Munich easily uh, beats the likes of SC Freiburg or other clubs. This this kind of monopoly and domination in German football, do you see do you see it as a problem? And if you do, do you see a, a remedy to it that's readily available? It is a problem because uh, there's a, um, a quote of a German national manager uh, Zepp Herberger, who led the led Germany to the World Cup win in 1954, and he said, uh, "It's it's simply that way. Why do people uh, visit the games because they don't know uh, the result? But in the past years, everyone knew the knew the results when Bayern Munich was was playing uh, some team. It was quite rarely that they were beaten by I think just two times by Borussia Mönchengladbach or somebody else." And uh, the remedy would just be that the t- TV money would be put out uh, in a different way. So put out more in an equal way. Germany can't they can't say that they are against the reform of the Champions League, but I, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund won't, bo- won't vote against their own interests. And uh, but it's up to the to the Liga to sort out their own TV money deal and uh, yeah, just try to give it out in a more American way to give give more money to the 
the clubs down the table and not uh, more money to the rich. So this would be some idea, some remedy for for curing this uh, this situation. And and for anybody that's not familiar with the situation, why can that not be actioned? Like obviously, there's a majority of teams in the Bundesliga that would be in favour of a fairer redistribution of the TV money. I don't know really. Uh, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund and the, the clubs who are involved in the European um, competitions say that they are um, responsible for um, getting all the money, getting the TV deals, and so they're against uh, redistribution. Redistribution, though. So I can't see why they. Uh, maybe the the smaller clubs. Uh, uh, don't have enough power or influence in the decisive commissions at the DFL, the Deutsche Fußballliga. They could change it, and uh, they have uh, all the rights in the in the world to do that. And I I can't see at the moment why it hasn't happened yet, because this would be key, and it it also would be a good thing for Bayern Munich, because in the end they profit or benefit from. Uh, a higher interest in the Bundesliga, it would could only be generated when there is an interesting competition, which, which wasn't wasn't the case in Germany for the past nine years. It's a problem not confined to Germany, but often we do look to Germany and German football to set an example. We've seen it with fan culture and the atmosphere around games. We've seen it with their response to the pandemic. I think they were the first major league to bounce back. So maybe we can look to them again to sort out the mess that European football finds itself in. And I hope also that Schalke bounce back at the first attempt run. It's been brilliant to have you on. It's been brilliant to reconnect with you after six issues of the magazine. I know you said off air you made it to Dublin to meet our co-editor Key. I hope you had uh, some proper Guinness while you were there. Yeah. Uh, I really I love your magazine and uh, I love Ireland. Uh, that is not the case. Uh, I I don't I don't just say that because you are from Ireland <laughs> because I proved it. I I proved it in an article that I really have some admiration for the Irish people. I was also there uh, when uh, David Gray had a gig in Wrexham. Not Wrexham. What is Wex- Wexford? Wexford. Wexford. Yeah. I've also been to Wexford, so people from Wexford listening, uh, <laughs> all the best for you. It was a great okay. night out, and, and, and uh, several Guinness, <laughs> uh, pints of Guinness, yeah. Well, when the world allows, maybe we'll get over back to Gelsenkirchen, and we can repay the favour. You're invited, yeah. A pleasure. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. All the best. And to you, Taylor. Thanks for having me, James. Thanks, Thanks Ron. That was great. And that's it for the latest episode of the Poker Gold podcast. Drop us a rating and review and get in contact via social media. Pick up your copy of issue 6 of Ireland's only football magazine. And Easton's and Tuttle's outlets in Ireland are online by visiting our website, pokemagold.com. Join us next time on the Poker Gold podcast.